0: Hello, and welcome to the Wild Wonder Podcast, where we seek to democratize and demystify holistic wellness practices by speaking with today's leading practitioners. Today on the podcast, we welcome back Christina Rosso Schneider. Welcome. Hi, I'm so glad to be here
1: and to be back again.
0: Yeah, me too. I feel like I always think about you on Halloween, so I think that's a compliment. Um, <laughs> I definitely Halloween. take that as one. Yeah. So last time we spoke on ritual in general, today I'd like to talk about witches and witchcraft and the upcoming High Holiday of Samhain. Amazing. Can't wait. (laughs) Yes. So I'd like to just kick it off with the word witch and maybe what it means to you. I know people have like aversions to using that term. Some people really embrace it. How do you feel about it? I love
1: the word. I am someone who feels like I have reclaimed this word to empower myself. And um, I've been on what I call the witch path for about five or so years seriously now. And once I took that word and made it a part of my identity, I felt like not only did I feel like immediately more powerful and confident and like I was able to manifest things in my life that maybe I hadn't been able to before in a different way than I had before, but also by taking on this label, I feel like I have this community of people that mm-hmm. that just has completely changed my world um, and can cha- and changed my life. Um, whether they're you know people that I do rituals with you know in person or virtually, or I just have connections with you know since so much is virtual these days. But for me, the word witch is, is an empowering word that for me connects to. All sorts of folks that exist on the outside or on the outskirts in some capacity. So I think of witches as survivors, as healers, as uh, magicians, as creators, um, and I think of all of those words too when I think about myself. So for me, it's a it's a perfect label. But like you said, it's definitely a word that you know has negative connotations, and and I think it's with a lot of with a lot of words that for some folks it feels empowering and for others it doesn't. Um, I'm not sure if you've read the book, Witches, Sluts, Feminists.
0: No, but now I want to. Oh, Tell you definitely should.
1: Uh, so this book um, is really wonderful. Um, I'm, I am feel like I'm blanking on the name of the author of her last name, Kristen J. Soleil is the author. Mm. She also has two other books, Catcall and Witch Hunt, which are both really wonderful. Um, but which is sluts feminist was her first book, and it looks at those three words, which is mm-hmm. sluts feminist, looking at essentially the origin of those words, but also how they fit into our modern day society, and how talks very much specifically about a word like slut, how that can be for some people it feels very empowering to use it. And then I could tell you I'm someone who does not like that word. Right. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to think about how language can both empower or you could have such a negative reaction to mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's a really wonderful book that also looks at um, the witch in pop culture um, and how the witch has continued to essentially make her way into every nook and cranny of our existence, even, you know thousands of years later. So really wonderful read, which is, it,
0: it almost feels like there's been a witchy comeback. Like I remember it in the like 90s with the craft, right? And then everybody wanted to be a witch. And now it feels like another resurgence, maybe that started five, six, seven years ago. Do you have any uh, ideas around why that might be?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I actually think Kristen J. Soleil touches on this a little bit in Let's feminist, but I've read about it. In other books and articles, and discussed it with some folks. I think that we see the witch pop up when we're in a time of political unrest, when we're um, in a time where we feel like our our rights and our livelihood are on the line. So, um, I feel like right around the 2016 election is when you know the Me Too movement even though it already existed, like that really took off and became mm-hmm. nationally recognized. And and I think that the witch craze that we're, we're still seeing even these years later really popped up then because so many, um, you know, femme-bodied, femme-identifying, or even just uh, folks who feel like they're an other in any capacity that they didn't fit into the, the Trump America, right, mm-hmm. were needed power. They needed to feel like they had some control and they could they could do something about the situation that they were existing in. And then I also think this witch craze ties into um in the last, you know, 5 plus years, more of a a public focus in self-care. Mm-hmm. Um so like tarot is huge right now and has been for the last couple years and is something that even folks who don't regularly practice have some kind of you know knowledge or connection to tarot um and so i feel like and i feel like in general tarot is this one aspect of witchcraft that um like more people are okay with and don't think like oh that's you know black magic or don't dabble with that right um even though people a lot of people misunderstand it for like reading your fortune like (laughs) you know your fortune and all of that but Um, I think that there's, that's the two parts is when, when we're in times of political or social unrest and we feel powerless, right. Or, and then even connected to that of like learning how to not only self empower, but take better care of ourselves as well.
0: It kind of sounds, it makes me think of like, whenever there's a suppression of that feminine energy or force, it has to come out another way. Yeah. So that's what, this witchcraft kind of movement kind of feels like to me like we're we're forced down by this outside big patriarchal force and this energy has to exist in some capacity absolutely i think that's why we're also seeing a lot of like movement around like rest reclaiming rest and rest as a form of resistance that's all kind of that feminine energy and not always looking to do 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 and make 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 until we're like bone dry
1: Absolutely. I feel like there has especially been this big push back against this masculine capitalist, you know, world that we live in. Um, and I even just uh, I have a group that I meet with on the full moon and we just met the other night and we're talking about how for so many of us, we struggle to just be present in the moment to not, you know, to feel like we have to do a million things. And also, even in terms of our witchcraft. Mm hmm getting back to the root of it, getting back to, you know, shadow work or taking care of ourselves, resting, you know, instead of the more performative aspects that can, Mm -hmm. that could come along with anything in the society that we live in,
0: which could be exhausting. Like if I think of like all the things I want to do around this time, like preparing for saw and the full moon and the whole thing, it feels like a lot. Yes. (laughs) So I've kind of allowed myself the grace of this month of doing it, like, a little bit here, a little bit there, what feeds my soul on this day, and, like, kind of being a lazy witch about it, you know, <laughs> instead of trying to, like, do the whole shebang every time. No, that sounds so lovely. I'm so glad that you're
1: doing that. That is something that I have not quite uh, managed to accomplish on my own end. Um, I feel like this month of the year is always just so crazy. Um But I am like, you know what? I have a night off. I'm going to take that night off and order in pizza and watch scary movies or whatever it is. And I'm trying to savor this this time of year because my favorite time of year.
0: But also for you, it's a little bit harder because you are, in essence, a professional witch. You own a bookshop, (laughs) right? That also... Um, has these workshops around witchcraft. I think you have Witchcraft 101 or Witch 101. Mm-hmm. Yep, right? we just ran Witch 101 for, I think, the third or fourth year.
1: So mm-hmm. that's a really fun class um, where we're looking at all different, you know, we're looking at the history of the witch. We're looking at different types of witchcraft. You know, are you interested in crystals? Are you interested in tarot? Um, as well as we're we're running a, a year-long Wheel of the Year series called Sabbath School. Um, so we just had the Samhain session of that because we meet two weeks before the holiday. So folks have time to prepare a ritual if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there's definitely aspects of of being a bookseller and a, a very public facing witch that, that yeah. take up a lot of time in my schedule, yeah. even though it's all wonderful things.
0: And you, as an author, you write about these things as well. And I remember yes. you mentioning to me while you were, I believe you had just finished your last book, Creole Conjure. You said that your publisher wanted you to be more of a forward-facing witch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you to describe what that means and what kind of they wanted you to do. What does that look like? Yeah, so um, so essentially, actually what I'm working
1: on right now is, a, is putting together a book proposal of a nonfiction uh, witch-focused book, which will be my first nonfiction project. Um, and, and it was very much with talking with that, that prospective publisher about, you know, I get that you are a witch, (laughs) but (laughs) your, your social media has to basically scream witch. You need to be this forward facing, um, we've talked about this term before, like word witch, right? That Mm -hmm. I'm a writer who's a witch who also uses the archetype of the witch in, in my work.
0: Um,
1: and so I was like, okay, so I have to do what? You know, does that mean (laughs) posting, being more, you know, I do tarot every week. So now I've been for the last year, I post my tarot pulls almost every week, you know, or doing more, trying to build my own podcast, Witch Path. Um, or the big thing they had talked about since I'm writing a nonfiction book is to have more publications that are witchy or folklore adjacent. Um, Mm -hmm coming out so that folks know that I also write nonfiction because there are witches in all of my fiction work, you know, in my, my forthcoming book Creole Conjure there, there are two witches very much based off of, of real folks. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of my, my writing. Mm. Um, but when thinking about, you know, I looked and I was like, Oh, I haven't, I haven't submitted a nonfiction essay in, you know, two or three years. So now I recently had an essay published um on the monstrous female and and specifically looking at at menstruation and connecting it both to mythology and witchcraft um and I have an essay forthcoming about birds being my familiar so it's been it's actually been really fun and a great a great way to like pause and reflect on my journey um as both a person as a woman as a witch um, and seeing how all of these things connect, and getting to explore them from a different lens than I normally do. Um, but those are all parts of the things I'm working towards towards building to be this more forward facing, you know, public witch.
0: Because I imagine with some of these rituals, they're they're really internal. So I fig- I feel like if I were to post a picture or a video of something I'm doing, it just looks like I'm sitting in dirt. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, here I am doing my thing. Yeah, dirt, you know. <laughs> so I imagine that's difficult. And then I, you said you reclaimed the word "witch" about five years ago. Yeah, I. I mean, I'm not someone
1: who has had negative connotations for the word, but when I say reclaim, for me, I think about how essentially the patriarchy has has used that word, twisted that your word very much. Like even if we're thinking of mythology, something like harpy mm-hmm. is is a term that was even used to describe Hillary Clinton when she was running for president, you know, and has turned into this uh, adjacent nasty woman kind of um, phrase. And harpies and mythology are not the nicest of creatures, though. I love them very much. But thinking about how folks usually think of witches as being, you know, old and ugly who might eat children or <laughs> they're like gorgeous seductresses, right. That lure and trap you, you know, that there's, they're in that, um, you know, we see them in fairy tales often, right? And they are the foil to our beautiful, virginal, sweet princess, right? right. They are the villain. Um, And so for me, the witch witch can be that. A witch can be whatever she or they wants to be, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like, okay, well, I want to use witchcraft to heal myself. I want to use witchcraft to empower myself, I want to use witchcraft to help me manifest, whether it's creative projects or career goals or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and also by by choosing that word and giving myself that label, as I mentioned, I've I've grown this amazing community, which is so rewarding in so many ways. And honestly, for the first time in my life, uh, you know, thirty years on this earth, I feel like I'm not. On the outskirts, right? I feel like right. I belong to something, and I never felt that way before.
0: i'm I'm reading now the book, um, the Transformations of Circe Chuche, Circe, right? <laughs> um, so it's really interesting, and when I think on it, it's it just the word witch, right? For me, as I read this book, it's bringing the feminine back to the center of the story instead of the outskirts or the monster or this other thing. It brings the female experience. Back to the center, instead of reading stories from the male perspective always and holding those values above all others.
1: That sounds amazing. Yeah,
0: I think I also love Circe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have you read uh, Madeline Miller's Circe, Yeah. novel. Yes, Yeah. love that. One. Love that. Right, <laughs> and like giving her the chance to tell her story, and also in. In that form of mythology, she is one of the original witches in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And that's such a, a fascinating just lens to look at. And then when you think about how the Odyssey frames her.
0: Mm-hmm. And all the commentary on the Odyssey and how it gets yes. reframed, like generation after generation. Um, you could kind of see how we got here. You know? <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but in, I believe it was 2018, a scholar named Emily Wilson, who's who's uh local to Philadelphia, uh, published the first translation of the Odyssey by a woman. Ooh! Uh, so I haven't—I've read like sh- like sh- very short sections of it for when I'm teaching, like one of my classes on the monstrous female or something. And it's amazing how even the words she chooses to translate, looking at it from a feminist lens. Mm-hmm. Um, Will vastly change. Uh, I think the section I'm thinking of is specifically talking about the sirens and how, when men have translated it, they translate the sirens to be these hypersexualized figures mm-hmm. who are seducing men. But in reality, I forget what the the word is because it's Greek. But right. when she she's like, if you just actually translate the word itself, there is no sexuality to it at all. It's mm. just them. They're hungry, right? They're doing right. what they need to. <laughs> to get food. So that's yeah. really interesting and is something that I wanna read. Um, and I hope that, that more scholars
0: continue to do that. Yeah, uh, in, in Judith Yarnell's book, I was, she mentions how about the monstrous female as this idea of what the masculine is most afraid of, of being like swept away into this other world of essentially chaos is how they describe it. And when they, when they translate the Odyssey, that's what it seems like. These men are petrified of like losing their sense of self and their reason above all things, right? So I want to go back to the monstrous female. Um, what is the monstrous female? What does it represent for you? So the monstrous female
1: for me could could be as, as you know, literal as looking at, at monsters in mythology that are femme-bodied. But for me, it's really any, any femme-bodied or female identifying person who has desire and has hunger and therefore the patriarchy sees as monstrous as being, you know, um, as wanting too much or not wanting what they should want. So it's, mm. it, it ties very much into the idea of the witch being someone who lives on
0: the outskirts of society and
1: doesn't, you know, fit the
0: fit or follow the status quo. How does that tie into anger? Maybe I'm just seeing it because that's something I've had to reckon with, right? Of the idea that women aren't allowed to be angry um, in patriarchal culture. How does the monstrous female tie into that? I mean, having any kind of uh, big feelings, mm. I feel
1: like yeah. directly into the monstrous female. Um, and, and along with desire and needs and wants, you know, that if you really want something, or if you're tired of of being restricted or being mm-hmm. confined, anger is a completely rational, valid feeling to have. Um, but you know, we often see uh, you know the connection between women being hysterical, right? right? If they show whether they're sad, whether they're angry, if they're too animated, right? It's like you need to calm down. Another book that I will recommend is Women and Other Monsters by Jess Zimmerman. So it's an essay collection that was published earlier this year. And in it, she looks specifically at the monstrous female in Greek mythology. And she has, I think it's on the Furies, that she has an essay talking specifically about anger and and the monstrous female. And anger is a perfectly normal, valid feeling to have.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I've only accepted that in the last 10 years of my life, right? Like, no, this is okay. We can work through this. We could. And as a motivating force as well, as well as desire, as well as any other need. Anger needs to be expressed um, instead of restricted. Absolutely. Yeah. Needs to be released just like any other
1: emotion that, that if it builds could have, you know, negative consequences to you or others.
0: So how does, for you, how does witchcraft help you tap into these emotions, express these emotions or move through them?
1: So it does this in a couple ways for me. The the one thing that I, I'm glad I've recently gotten back into that I was really good about before the pandemic, because I feel like the pandemic has been challenging in so many ways. Um, But I, I lost touch with a lot of routine and in the last year and a half. And so before the pandemic and just this fall, I've gotten back into it. On Monday mornings, I like to do a three-card tarot pull. So I ask the same questions every week. I put the cards up on my altar and then I reflect on them throughout the week. So I ask myself, what is the energy or the vibe of this week? What lesson will I learn this week and what will challenge me this week? Mm -hmm. Um, and I typically have therapy on Fridays and my therapist is a wellness practitioner. So I don't think she specifically reads tarot, but she has Mm -hmm. an understanding of it. So, uh, It works really well to pull cards on Monday, spend all week reflecting on it. And then by Friday, when I'm in therapy, I'm like, wow, so I pulled strength here. And this makes really this makes so much sense to me with this, you know, so that's that's a big part of 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 helping me tap in, because like Mm -hmm. I was saying, I'm really bad about pausing and taking time to reflect. And so having that like a week to think through the cards and um, right now, because my house is being renovated, I, instead of having them on my altar, which is currently under a cloth because we're painting that room, (laughs) um, I have it set up in my bedroom. So if Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm sitting in bed when I wake up, what I'm reading in bed, whatever it is, I can look at those cards and, and reflect on them. So that's, that's definitely a big part of self-care for me and my witchcraft. Um, but then in terms of how else witchcraft allows me to tune into those emotions, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, is, is through ritual. So I, uh, once a month I meet with, with a coven of, of local folks here in Philly. Um, and in we person? do, In right now we're meeting in person. We meet outdoors, um, for a lot of the pandemic we met virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and once it gets too cold, we switch virtually. Um, We don't have Uh, that problem here. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have that problem here uh, where you are. Um, But we typically meet, if not on the full moon, right around it. And Mm -hmm. we each take, we typically each take a portion of the ritual so that everyone has something to add to it. And in it, there are always, uh, whether it's doing a group tarot poll, whether it's journaling, I often am the one who leads like a meditation and grounding section with some journaling. Even the other day, because Samhain's approaching, so we did a full moon kind of Samhain ritual, we did a dumb supper. um, And for folks who aren't familiar with the dumb supper, it is where you provide a a meal, you make an offering of a plate of food, um, and usually some wine for your ancestors. um, And it sits there while you enjoy the the food that you've created, but it's a, a completely silent meal. So it's a time that you can think about your ancestors, think about the lessons that they've, they offer you, think about ways to honor them as well as thinking about this time of year where, um, you know, in, in the witch's calendar, it's, it's coming up to our new year, right? So we're getting to the end of this, this cycle and thinking about death and rebirth. So, so my friends and I hosted a dumb supper and, it was as a person who struggles to pause, you know, we we made it a part of our ritual. So it was about, you know, 15 minutes of time, mm-hmm. but just sitting there silently with some of my close friends and only my thoughts to keep me <laughs> company, you know, was, is challenging, but also really rewarding. And so I sat there for a few minutes, having a lot of trouble quieting my mind. And then I focused on the altar. I focused on the fire and the flames before me. Um, And then I started journaling about what I want to release after this Mm -hmm. year and how I want to honor my ancestors and also how we're coming up on the fourth anniversary of my grandmother's passing and how there's a lot of generational trauma there as well, specifically with the women in my family from one one mother to daughter to the next Mm -hmm. and how in the last year, actually... At a Samhain ritual, I realized I realized this pattern, and that I refuse to continue it. And so I was like, I haven't been able to do a ton of work on that because I've barely even seen my own mother because I'm immunocompromised and it's been mm-hmm. you know a pandemic. But right. starting to be like, right, that is something that you want to work towards. That is something you want to reflect mm-hmm. upon. So that was just a really beautiful moment to think about it and. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I find because I have so much trouble, you know, pushing everything out and just being present, um, being in a group setting like that can help me be like, okay, you're going to take 10 minutes and you're just going to, even if you don't write anything, you're just going to stare at that piece of paper and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's another way through, through doing group practices. That's that, that has helped me. A lot, but it's something I'm still still working on of being able to be in touch with with every aspect of me because I'm someone who um, anger is really hard for me to express, right. um, and I think it's I think it's in part I have a family that uh, they all have really quick tempers, mm-hmm. and I have a, an extremely adverse reaction to anger if someone like raises their voice um when i was a child i would curl into a ball and start crying um and i'm someone who will cry before i yell i basically unless i'm yelling to just like have that cathartic release oh. i don't think there is a purpose for yelling because it just <laughs> i have such an adverse reaction to it um and then also being being a woman i'm i feel like i'm not allowed to have these feelings right yeah. that you know i shouldn't cry in public I shouldn't mm-hmm. get angry. I need to mind, you know how I how I present myself, and so I think that those those two things, like my my home life growing up, and and just how I I have an adverse reaction to fighting. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I can then- relate on both of those, but also the yelling or crying in public. It's also years and years mm-hmm. of an ad- the adverse reaction you get, right? At least in my experience, it's always been ridicule. Like if you exert yourself and get angry at something, people act like you're baddie. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. And what's been interesting too about that as well is um, I have been, since I, you know, decided to to reclaim the word witch and, and make it a part of, of, of my identity, I've never shied away from it mm-hmm. Um, in, in being open of like, this is, you know, I don't necessarily walk into a room with a black hat on and like, Hey, the witch is here. <laughs> um. But I remember uh, a couple years ago, so it was before the pandemic, I was I wasn't married yet. My husband and I were engaged, but I was an adjunct professor and all of my coworkers were men. And I was one of the also. The, so I was one of the only women in the English department and I was one of the youngest people in the English department. And a you know, there's it's also a Catholic university. Mm-hmm. Um so everyone was like so when you start having kids and I was like I'm not planning on having human kids but that's really cool that you just assume that for me. <laughs> um so I like had to deal with that and watching, you know, my male coworkers get opportunities that I was never offered even though I have an MFA and they just have a masters or you know I have a book and they you know whatever. But I was I was open with my coworkers about my practices and um, and my craft. And so it became something that was ridiculed, of uh, very much like, Oh, do you don't want to upset Christina, she might hex you. And, and I wanted to slap them across the face so many times. But my way of dealing with them was like, you know what, I will hex you. So leave me <laughs> alone. And I would start to mess with them. Because I was like, if this is if this is how you treat me, because I'm a woman because I've told you that I also identify as a witch, then I'm just going to, you know what? I'm going to play it up and maybe it'll make you think you can't cross me. Right. Even though I'm like the nicest person who hates confrontation and would never hex someone. Right. Um, I'm all about light and love,
0: but you know, <laughs> they don't need to know that. Right. I feel like it's, it just reminds me of like my grandparents, how most Cubans say they do not believe in, you know, Santeria and Brujeria and all that stuff. But they will not cross someone who believes they in those things or practices or is like open about their practices. You know, my grandmother would not. And she, what's funny, I think, is that they also do things that are very much in line with these witchy practices but deny that it's a witchy practice. Like you mentioned feeding, offering food to your ancestors. They do that all the time or offering foods to the, you know, religious figures. Okay. It's not the gods of Yoruba, but they're still offering food to the Virgin Mary. So isn't that the same thing?
1: There are so many connections between organized religion and witchcraft. And um, I was just listening uh, to Ash, who you've had on the podcast Mm -hmm. before, who's, who's our instructor for Sabbath school. And in the Samhain class, they were talking about um, exactly that, how, you know, so often we see connections in religion to like the ritualized aspects of Mm -hmm. it and how a lot of these practices we see, you know, having a Christmas tree, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Easter egg hunts. Those have pagan roots. Right. But, and they were something that, they took these these pagan practices and and aspects of the, the pagan rituals to make it so that uh, folks who were religious would be like, oh, well, now there's this nice thing. We get to decorate a Christmas tree yeah. like a Christmas tree has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. <laughs> right? right. Easter eggs have nothing to do with the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and i I think I'm almost even saying like word for word what Ash said the other day, and i I already knew this, but I was just so struck thinking about it again, as we are also getting you know in a in a couple of months, we'll be at Yole and thinking that so much of of that that practice um that holiday is, is so much of it has been taken for
0: for Christmas. Yes, yeah, kind of as a, like a ancient marketing, right? Like you yes. can do it too. We're all the same. You could practice this religion instead. Have yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to get back. You mentioned Ash, and you mentioned having a coven. We've t- spoken about the solitary path of the witch. What is the power of having a group or coven? So for me, a
1: lot of it is is that that connection, that community feeling, as though I belong, and also um, it just Happens to be that that the folks I know that that identify as witches um, and often come to these, whether it's you know an offering through the bookstore, um, where it's you know a much larger group of folks, anyone could come virtually, um, or it's you know these these intimate, uh, in person, you know, socially distant settings. That it's the idea that a there's connection, but there's safety in being able mm-hmm. to express your emotions and we're all very emotional people, you know, I, it's, I, I feel like some folks would listen to this and be like, Oh, of course, group of embodied people get together and half of them are crying every ritual. And I'm like, well, we are because we're in a safe space or because, you know, we're empathetic to what someone else is going through. I mean, especially with uh, any ritual around the full moon, which is a, you know, so much energy Um, and such a great time to let go of and release things. But then you also think about Samhain and, and not only is it a time of year, you know, where there's a lot of, 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 you know, death happening in terms Mm -hmm. of nature and cycles, but also we've realized the other day that so many of us have experienced personal losses around this time of year. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I, and it's, it's eerie too, how, you know, my grandmother passed two days before Samhain, four years ago. Around this time of year, three years ago, we found out that our sweet, sweet Kaylee, was, had cancer and that it was terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had friends mis- experience miscarriages around this time. I have friends who've lost other, like other folks who've lost their grandparents or loved ones, friends during this time. And so I I think there's, it's, there's like something in the air around this Definitely. time of year, and then also, you know, the days are getting shorter and darkness is coming in, and the earth is is dying, you know. So I think that that all connects as well. And so, of course, we're gonna cry, you know. I I think being in a space like that allows me to think about someone like my grandmother, who would have been a hundred years old this year. Her birthday was the thirteenth. And and spending that time, cu- cutting out that time to honor her and also, you know, think about both how I miss her, but also how she was imperfect in many ways uh, and that that's OK. And I think that's a big part of ancestor work and ancestor worship or or honoring and working with ancestors is accepting and acknowledging who they actually were and then realizing that you also whether they're they're someone who was you know a familial ancestor or a found ancestor that mm-hmm. they're they're probably imperfect in some capacity right. and so is there is there healing you need to do from your personal relationship with them? Is there healing you need to do based off of pain that they may have caused others? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can you moving forward take these lessons to either right their
0: wrongs or to continue the work that they were doing and honor their memory. Or like you said, finally break some of these ancestral traumas that just keep repeating and repeating. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are, those are the really hard ones,
1: right? Yeah. Because they're, they're, it's something that, you know, I feel like generational trauma is essentially in our, like in our DNA, in our Mm -hmm. bones, that if it's so ingrained in one person, you know, I, not to get into my, my family drama, but around the time that I started going to therapy, which was about three years ago, I was having a, a really, I mean, it was the first real honest conversations I'd ever had with my mother. And it, it was about a year after her mother had passed. And I said to her, you treat me the way your mother treated you. And that was, I think, I like literally saw things click for her. Hmm. And I was like, now, you, now you're now you acknowledging that, you're recognizing that, and now you need to change that. Because I was like, it's just because your mom did it to you doesn't mean it's acceptable to continue it towards me and my sister. Hmm. Um. And so, but I think it's, you know, when you're in it and if it's all you've ever known, how, how do you know, A, that there's anything wrong with it? How do you even recognize that you're doing it? Because I hmm. think that, you know, often people are like, Oh, I'm like growing into like I'm becoming my mother, right I'm becoming my <laughs> father right and I think that's that's very true because so much of it is is behavior or patterns that we see and live and mm-hmm. don't necessarily um acknowledge when they're
0: happening to us and even speaking with my own experience, even when we do acknowledge it, we know it's there like i have I've had the experience where I fear it so much that I recreate it like kind of by accident, you know, yeah. I and mean, I, you know, and it takes you some time. Like, how did I end up here again? This is exactly what I was trying not to do until yeah. so you really start digging through it and facing it, which I think is what witchcraft allows. Then you can move through it and change it. But it's very difficult when you're just like averse to it, this thing. Absolutely.
1: And, and I think that's where shadow work really comes into play. Um, and, and that's something that has just, Connected, So it it was like, I really started getting into witchcraft the same time I was, I was diving into therapy Uh, for the first time in my life. I didn't go to therapy until I was 27 years old and, and just starting to see how those two things aligned and how my witchcraft helped me unpack so much pain or trauma or, or things about myself that even if they weren't necessarily, you know, hurtful to others were hurtful to myself, you know, Mm -hmm patterns of negative self talk right or or my inability to uh you know like fear of missing out but also like fear of not accomplishing enough which which I think both connects into being in a capitalist society but also connects to being a woman in a patriarchal society where I have to do more to even yeah. get half of what most men get offered, you Absolutely. know and and that even you know after years of therapy and years of witchcraft. And 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 I know that I am a million times more confident and trusting in myself. I feel like that's mm-hmm. been the biggest thing through through both of those journeys is that I trust my gut. I trust my intuition, but it still is hard to, I'm so much better at setting boundaries and asserting myself. But especially when I'm asserting myself to a man who's, mm either my age or older. I have a, mm-hmm. I also have a thing with authority figures, especially if they're male, that it feels like I'm like I question myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um even even with my lovely contractor, love him. He, he's mm-hmm. a customer of the bookstore. His wife's actually in my coven. Um great guy, like I second guess myself talking to him about, you know, the construction because I'm like, well, I don't really know that much about it. And then literally my husband comes in and says exactly what I was going to say. And he right. doesn't even think about it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, I was
0: in condition to have to think about it. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can fully understand that whole scenario. I've gotten much better at being able to say I'm still speaking. I haven't finished speaking yet. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> That's I feel like a big a one. Yeah. Yeah, that one's a big one. I also feel
1: like uh, I've I've seen some tweets and things about this. I've talked to some friends about it of uh, of making sure your posture is really strong when mm-hmm. you are, especially speaking to to a man of, of like, okay, so I'm not going to shrink. Like I'm going to stand tall and I'm not going to back away from you because mm-hmm. um, also a lot of um, a lot of heteronormative men are, uh, you know, cis white men who will like come and get in your space. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um,
1: so a being like, get out of my space. But mm-hmm. also the idea of you can take up space physically, verbally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's something I had to learn when I started my own business, because I'm small in stature. And people tend to dominate the space because I'm smaller. And I realized that if I just energetically made myself bigger if I stood up taller if I sat in the biggest chair in the room because I could then people would respect me more and would honor what I was saying to them yeah and also I think it it connects a little
1: bit to the last time we were chatting on your podcast about glamour Mm -hmm. magic Mm -hmm. and how the root of that form of magic is confidence right and and allowing yourself to present to the world or present to yourself you're the best version of you, right? Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's you know, it's hard with masks these days, but you know, whether it's like rocking makeup that works mm-hmm. for you, or doing your hair, or whatever it is that helps you walk into a space and be like, I own this, and you're going to listen to me, or whatever it is, you know, whether it's a piece of clothing or you know, whatever it is, because I feel like as as femme body people, um, you said you're small in stature. I'm tall, but I'm like the smiliest person in the world. And I, and I have, you know, a higher pitched voice and I look younger than I am. Um, I'm actually adjuncting again. I was asked to come back to the school after two years. They had some folks quit and we're renovating the house. So, you know, in this, in this wild time we're living in where everything's uncertain. I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take on teaching again in this capacity because my household could use the, the funds because if there's, God forbid, there's another shutdown, you know, in, in, in spring 2020, our only income for my husband and, and myself was the bookstore and we were closed for months. So I've gone back into teaching and I, it's, it's funny how, you know, I obviously teach through the shop and everything and that's, that's very different, but going back to teaching at a university and at a Catholic university, um, you know, day one, I was confused for a student. And I, you know, and, and I, I'm, I want all of my kids to succeed. And so Mm -hmm. it's a thing that I had to learn really quickly is when I started adjuncting, I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. So some of my students were my age or older than I was, and just my disposition, they would try to take advantage of me. And so there's, there always comes a point every semester where no matter how, like, clearly I define the rules of my classroom, that someone breaks them and then expects me to, to just be like, okay. And instead mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I actually told you if you did that thing, this would happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or there's that day where students don't submit papers. It, this happened a couple of weeks ago. And I, I had to lecture the class on how they wasted my time. And even mm-hmm. though they're all wearing masks, you could just yeah. see their <laughs> eyes like, oh, we messed up. Like she's mm. not as nice as she comes across, <laughs> and I'm like, I am nice and understanding until you don't follow basic directions or you disrespect my time and energy,
0: and then you have um, to tap into that monstrous female.
1: You have to tap into that <laughs> monstrous female, or I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna wear this dress today that makes me feel like this boss witch, mm. and then I'm just gonna command the classroom, right. you know. Um, and so I think that that all ties into it, and and I know because still most of my coworkers are are male and a lot of the same ones, they've never had to deal with this. Oh, no way. No one would question. I mean, I literally, when I started adjuncting, got asked how old I was. And I said, that's none of your business. Right. <laughs> and when one of them was like, well, you look really young. And I was like, well, I have two masters. What do you have? And they, you know, and they were working on their associates. And I was like, so when you have two masters, you can come and talk to me about how old I am.
0: Right. You know,
1: right. But again, yeah. something that would never happen never.
0: to a man. Well, I feel you completely because I used to work in television and there's no I don't know if there's a more do- male dominated industry. But I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked to go get coffee. I'm like, You're not no, a secretary. I'm not a secretary. I'm in this meeting, too. I was and even if you are a
1: secretary,
0: yeah.
1: your, your sole job is not because I've been a
0: secretary before yeah, and I had a lot of other
1: responsibilities yeah. besides getting
0: coffee. We cannot just assume I have the time nor the wants to go get up and get everybody coffee. Exactly. <laughs> but um let's get back to Samhain because it's coming up. I want for those that don't know what is Samhain.
1: So Samhain falls on Halloween, October 31st, and it is uh, one of eight pagan holidays on the wheel of year um and is is essentially the witch's new year. So it is a time of year where the veil between this world and the next is thinnest. So it's a, a wonderful time to uh, think about your ancestors, think about those who you've lost and whether it's honoring them by going and visiting them wherever they may be. You know, next week, I'm, I'm going to, to visit my grandmother's grave, um, whether it's host- hosting something like a dumb supper um, or even doing... Um, I know we talked about this on a previous episode. I was here of doing a little ritual to honor a departed one. Um, It's a great time to just take this time to reflect on ancestors. But then also because it is it really ties into this uh, cycle with the natural world where it's starting to get darker, it's starting to get colder um, we're starting to lean towards hibernating. It's a wonderful time to take stock in what you have created, what you have harvested, what you were grateful for, and and then what what you want to keep as we go mm-hmm. into the the winter months, and what what you want to let go of.
0: Yeah, and I've, if I'm not mistaken, the thawin as a which is New Year, it's because it was we're using the agricultural calendar, mm-hmm. correct. So yeah. it's actually like it is a new year because the earth is regenerating. Right? Yeah. Yes. And the and the word Samhain itself is
1: Gaelic, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Um. So it's it's a time of all about the cycles of death, rebirth, and especially Maybon, which is the the previous holiday, but this holiday as well. Um, has clear connections to, if you like Greek mythology, um, Persephone, mm-hmm. descent into the underworld.
0: Which and then in this, story to read.
1: yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then once we get into spring and thinking about rebirth, it's when she returns. Um, and that's why her mother, her mother, so, uh, I mean, just grief stricken from the loss of her daughter, depending on the interpretation of the, the story and whether she's kidnapped or she, you know, Goes kind of in this Alice in Wonderland adventure, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. When Demeter loses her daughter Persephone, the, who she was the goddess of agriculture, the earth dies. Everything turns cold, and all the plants go away. Until her daughter returns to her, and that's why we have the seasons that we have. Um, so it's it's definitely. I also like to think about the the mythology connected to this time and. We were talking the other night at the the ritual about how Persephone is such a wonderful figure, too, to think about around this time of year. Not only because of that, but because she is a figure who, um, if you're looking at regard, actually, I think regardless of what uh, what spurs her going to the underworld, that she takes a situation that could be scary or incredibly harmful to her. In mm-hmm. some some version, there's, there's sexual assault involved as well. And she uses that and perseveres and becomes the queen of the underworld and becomes very powerful and writes her own story. Um, and if I'm correct, I believe that in some iterations of mythology, she actually, as the goddess Persephone, as core, existed before Hades in some storylines. Um, and while she hasn't been, you know, honored in the same way as her mother Demeter was, um, I feel like especially in the last few years, folks are really getting into this this death goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of mythology too, with Samhain, I always think about Hecate, who's another Greek goddess, um, and she is the goddess of crossroads, of necromancy, and witchcraft. Um, so and she's the Associated hero. with the moon, correct? Yes, she's with also associated body. with the moon <laughs> and dogs. Um, mm-hmm. But she is that, that figure that stands literally between this world and the next and can harness all of the mysteries of the divine and of magic and its secrets. Um, so I, always, I like to honor her around this time of year as like well.
0: The story of Persephone reminds me of the idea that witchcraft as a practice is a practice of the here and now and not a practice of transcendence as other um, traditions are. We're accepting oh, yeah. everything as it is, right? And you can only accept, you can only move through difficult situations when you accept things as they are, as Persephone did. She didn't say, oh, let me dream up of another land and let me just exist there in my mind. Or like, one day I will be saved. She kind of moves through the underworld and accepts things as they are.
1: Yeah, I really love that interpretation of that. And I think in terms of the piece about transcendence, that there is not transcendence in the the traditional way that we would see with religion of going to, um, you know, heaven or you know in in Egyptian uh, the ancient Egyptians beliefs you know having your heart weighed against a feather and getting to go to this eternal afterlife
0: mm-hmm. um, or
1: being devoured if you didn't leave <laughs> live a, a pretty you know good balanced life, mm-hmm. um, but it's more so in terms of transcend transcendence or you know uh, reaching a higher higher awareness or mm-hmm. or like level is through this work and that it's all on you to do it but it's not about good and evil it's right. it's about working on yourself mm-hmm. it's about finding your power and that that gives you a form of transcendence
0: yes i to like highlight, underline, <laughs> put it on my wall. <laughs> and before you go, because we could probably keep going. I could talk about Samhain Talk forever. We <laughs> all day. <laughs> but we have things to do. We are very busy witches around here. And I would like to speak about your new book because I'm very excited to read it. It's Creole Conjure. And I'll let you talk about it. I won't keep going. Yeah.
1: So so I have a collection coming out on Samhain. So it's very fitting called Creole Conjure. And it is an interconnected uh, collection of short stories that is set in New Orleans. And it follows all female identifying or non-binary characters that are essentially trying to find their way in a world built upon deception and oppression. So they're very much battling the evils of the patriarchy, which we've been talking about a lot today, Mm -hmm. um, as well as forces of literal evil. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a book that is very much inspired by fairy tales, by mythology, by Louisiana folklore, um, but I, I hope that I've created a, a really unique mythos of my own, um, and it does feature uh, two well it's features multiple witches, but two focal points. Um, one that is uh, very loosely based by Marie uh, based off of Marie Laveau, um, and the other is by Julia Brown who exists more in folklore than, than anything else, even though there's also a lot of lore surrounding Marie Laveau, but these are two figures that I've studied a lot and wanted to create, uh, these magical, powerful women based off of, um, so yeah, so that comes out on Samhain and it's available to pre-order through my bookstore, a novel idea,
0: um, or through the publisher, which is Maudlin house. Love it. Can't wait to read it, and I thank you so much for coming. um I love touching on these topics. we've done glamour magic before, and we did ritual before that, and I'm sure we'll dream up another topic to have you come back yes it's so it's so
1: fun. It always feels like I just get to hang out for like an hour and chat with someone that i another witch that that I know and love so it's it's so nice to to get to connect with you.
0: Thank you for having me on again oh thank you, and I know. Everyone got so much from this episode. Um, you can find this episode and more in all our show notes. I will try my best to put all the books that you mentioned <laughs> and definitely your website and your upcoming book um, released on Samhain on our website, wearewildwonder.com. Thanks, Christina. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Have a great day. You too.